connect and you want to explore. Have any of you seen the show about Dot? It's basically about an eight-year-old girl who, like many children that age, uses technology extensively in her life, whilst also remaining conscious of the need to unplug from that technology. Now, this is just one of the creations of today's guest. And no one represents a female tech success story like Randy Zuckerberg. Randy has had success in marketing, Broadway, She's an accomplished author, TV producer, and angel investor. By the way, she's also one of the original employees of a startup called Facebook, and has a younger sibling called Mark. You may have heard of him. So welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa yeah. So I really, I can't believe, I'm so excited today to invite and welcome Randy Zuckerberg to The Great Indoors. Randy, welcome to The Great Indoors. Randy, how are you? Hi, doing great. And uh, yes, I have been, we've all been indoors for way too long for the past uh, 18 months. So uh, happy to be here, but uh, excited to move on from the space soon. And where are you enjoying the great indoors from today? Where are you in the world, Randy? I am currently in New York City, but uh, I've actually spent most of the past 18 months in California. At the start of the pandemic, I went out to, uh, with packed up my three kids, went out to visit my parents for what I thought was three weeks a month tops. And uh, it ended up being a year and a half. We actually only just <laughs> returned to New York City. So uh, what a, a, a wild year and a half it was. Wow. And is it nice to be home? It is. It is very nice to be home. I mean, I left food in the refrigerator because I thought we were leaving for three weeks. Luckily, we had friends come by and and check on the place. But uh, it, you know, it's weird when you leave your home and you expect to come home and come back in a a few weeks and you are gone for over a year is is a pretty wild feeling to return. Wow. Well, I used to leave food in the fridge for like 18 months when I was at university. <laughs> and that, thankfully, that's stopped now for, for everybody's benefit. And what have you been able to do uh, during the lockdown that has given you, uh, well, sorry, since the lockdown or since you've been home, that's felt like normalcy again, that's given you some joy? Yeah, well, you know, I I love the theater. The theater has always been a huge passion of mine. Ever since I was a young girl, I loved singing and acting. Uh, it, now that I'm, you know, professional, I guess I I've moved to producing theater and and being on the business side. And it was devastating to this industry the fact that theater has been closed for 18 months. I mean, a lot of people who work in the theater they don't have a backup plan. They don't have immense backup savings, and so for the entire industry to go down for this length of time is just a uh, really crippling. Um, 
So this week, I went to my first live theatrical show in 18 months. It was a beautiful show. I I cried. It was a comedy, and I still sat there crying the whole time because I was just so excited to be back in an audience of a live show. So uh, that's something that's giving me a lot of joy right now. But I did take up some other weird pandemic hobbies, I think, <laughs> as we all did. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I, that's a, an exciting new phase of my life too nice nice and we'll talk about those uh, some more as we go <laughs> forward um because obviously so much has happened in the last 18 months but tell you know for our listeners uh, give a little bit of a history of yourself randy and how you got to where you are today Sure. Well, I think, you know, when most people hear the last name Zuckerberg, they think about a different person in the world. And, uh, you know, I want to assure all your listeners that they are not getting the leftovers of the Zuckerberg family today. Um, And I'm very excited to be here. So a little bit about me is, uh, you know, I mentioned that I always loved theater. and That was my big passion. And uh, so naturally, I found myself on the front lines of social media in Silicon Valley. How does one get from a love of theater out to uh, to Silicon Valley? Well, um, I, I fell in love in, in college with, with marketing and with business. And uh, I, I went to work for an ad agency in New York City. And I actually got very lucky. Um, there were about 30 of us that all started at the same time. 29 of my colleagues got staffed on these glamorous campaigns I got staffed on this brand new team called digital marketing, which I thought was just like a dead end job. I did not want to be there. I wanted to be with the celebrities, but uh, it ended up pretty being pretty fortuitous because uh, around that time in the early 2000s, suddenly digital marketing was an exploding industry. And uh, when my brother called me and said, hey, Randy, I, I need someone with some digital marketing experience. I thought, you know, hey, I'll go out to Silicon Valley for a weekend, give him some advice, come back to my job. Well, uh, I I ended up staying in Silicon Valley for 10 years. That weekend turned into 10 years. I'm sensing a a, a pattern in my behavior of like intending (laughs) to go somewhere for a short amount of time. Particularly Um, California. Yeah. (laughs) That only just occurred to me as I was saying that out loud. But um, I just, I fell in love with the entrepreneurial spirit of Silicon Valley and um, absolutely loved. There were only about 12 people when I joined Facebook um, in in those early days. And so it truly was this amazing little startup. And uh, over a decade there in Silicon Valley, I, I got to see how tech and social media was changing every single industry on the planet, which was super exciting, but also opened my eyes to a lot of issues around the lack of women in technology and business, the lack of access. And so after about a decade in Silicon Valley, I decided it was time to start my next chapter. And now I would say almost all the work that I do is dedicated to helping and inspiring more women to, Mm -hmm. to take those risks and take up entrepreneurship in business. Wow. Wow. And, and tell us a bit about Zuckerberg media. Um, And I've seen the quote, you're the professional mom to startups, right? And we bring lots of startups on on this podcast. So give us a bit of of an insight into that, if you could. Yeah, well, 
You know, it's funny because I think during the pandemic, I've actually even evolved my thinking. I'd now call myself more like the professional aunt, like the cool aunt (laughs) to startups because, you know, I have three kids of my own. I spent a decade in a very intense startup atmosphere. I'm exhausted. I love handholding entrepreneurs. I love answering their questions and giving advice. And then I like to hand their children back to them and say, you go run with this. So, you know, I will, I will take, I will hang out with you on a Saturday and help with your kids. Like I will answer a phone call, but like at night I'm going to go back to my own home. So (laughs) that's why um, I, I feel like I'm in the cool aunt phase of my career where I just, I wake up every morning so excited to invest in startups, advise, mentor. I think when I looked at my portfolio, I think I'm working with more than 60 startups right now on some level. And, uh, you know, I think I'm probably working harder than I've ever worked in my life and, and working for more time. But um, being kind of that cool aunt to women that are in the trenches mm-hmm. with their business is just giving me a, a lot of energy. So I guess I, I need to update my bio because I, you know, <laughs> too tired to be the mom after 18 months of a pandemic. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And you know, when we talk about technology and innovation, and obviously you've been on the front line of it you know, Randy, for for quite some time now. But during this last 18 months, it's been like, um, it's it's been, the changes have been cataclysmic across everything. There's been this digital propulsion, people, uh, you know, the adoption of digital across all demographics has vaulted forward. We've seen new technologies coalesce around 5G and IoT and Mac and all these different things. So do you think the pandemic and uh, what, you know, we talk about the role that the technology has had during the pandemic, but do you see a massive change in some of the foundational technological elements that we see all around us? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's been so fascinating to watch what's happened in, in technology over this past year, because there have been some just incredible leaps and bounds and also some incredible challenges that have happened over the past year. I mean, first of all, let's look at the e-commerce industry. E-commerce exploded. I mean, it was already big, but um, where we are right now in the world in terms of e-commerce is where we were predicted to be five years from now. So the, the pandemic has escalated that entire industry and sped it up by five years, which you know, is really exciting. Um, but it also means that we faced huge supply chain issues. There were breakdowns and in, in so many in shipping and manufacturing uh, because companies simply could not keep up with a demand that moved forward by five years. Um, the, the tools that we've seen in remote work and the ability to collaborate across the country, across the world, uh, it's truly incredible. I mean, I even though I often joke about having a lot of Zoom fatigue, I mean, I am so grateful for these technologies that enabled all of us to have a life that felt fairly normal, even during such wild situations. Although I will say, 
Zoom pre-K is not a thing. That is after living through that with a four-year-old. It is not a thing. And uh, I'm so excited to get my kids back in school. But uh, I think we also... So there, there have been so many incredible advances, telemedicine. I mean, so many industries. And it is actually in moments of crisis that the most innovation happens that we've seen through history. But I think we also, we can't ignore some of the, the really devastating things that have happened. More than 3 million women in the United States alone dropped out of the workforce voluntarily this year because they could not uh, shoulder the burden of being home with children and taking on that work and working full time. So, you know, that's something we will see the effects of that for a long time in the workforce. And, and those stats are happening all over the world. Also, the digital divide. I mean, we we went into this 18 months with a huge digital divide in the world already. There was a huge divide between people who had access to Wi-Fi and technology and those who didn't. The pandemic made that worse. If you were lucky this year to have a private, quiet room, good Wi-Fi and a working device, you actually made it through this year okay. If you didn't have those things, it's going to take years and years to catch up to peers now. So I think, you know, it's important to both celebrate the gains in technology that we made these 18 months, but also acknowledge some of the very real issues that happened. I think that's a really good point because the way I looked at it is before the pandemic, I think technology was getting a bit of a hard rap, right? Particularly you've got young children, like I've got young children and it was always like you're spending too many ta- too much time on your tablet you're always gaming, you're speaking to your friends on the internet rather than going out. You know, it always reminds me of my grandparents when I was a little boy that said, well, when I was your age, you know, for, for my birthday, I, would, I wouldn't get a computer, I would get a lump of coal and I would be happy with that. <laughs> you know, and we, 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 we kind of, I think technology, we, all, we always said that everybody was spending too much time and too reliant on it and it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be good for anyone. And then we went into the pandemic and it almost got a rebrand. This was the glue that was holding society together, that was allowing children to be educated, that was allowing us to work, that was allowing us to see family all over the world. But then it invited in all these other issues, like you said, Randy, the digital divide. Uh, the other one, the other big thing that we saw was mental health, this separate pandemic of, of, of mental health uh, problems, particularly in that Gen Z um, uh, cohort, that the digital natives, they were really suffering. So we saw this, all these new problems arise after technology had, had kind of um, had, had helped us in a way. But what were, can you give us a, a really a good example of something really creative you saw a company do during the pandemic to, to get through? Absolutely. Well, and before I, I get into some of my favorite examples, I want to react to what you said because I 100% agree with what you're saying. I, I used to spend so much time before the pandemic combating uh, parents' fears of screen time. Everywhere, whenever I would go speak somewhere, people would say, you know, how do I get my kids off of screens? There was just parents had all this fear. They approached all technology like it was evil. And um, I wonder if we hadn't been so scared of screens for all these years leading up to it, maybe we all would have been much better prepared for what happened with our families this year. And so my hope is that we come out of this, I mean, and granted, listen, our children spent way too much time on screens these past 18 months. 
I had three children at home. So my 10 year old who hardly ever had screen time suddenly was in a room by himself with unsupervised access to the internet for 10 hours a day. I never, I, I wrote an entire book telling people not to do that. And, but you know, I had to survive with a new baby and a four-year-old. And so, okay, 10 year old, go, go have unsupervised access to the internet all day. Um, so that's not the answer clearly, but I do hope we come out of this with a, a better sense of balance and not fearing screen time and tech, but with a better sense of how we can balance all the aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a question that parents have never had to deal with in history before, right? That they, they, they've never had to ask this question before. And and I tell the also the the thing that I notice, um, my eldest is I have an eleven year old, ten year old, seven year old, and a, a, a three-year-old it's quite a distribution but their adaptability right they they went on to online education boom straight away they adapted they were straight into it and I I, and I didn't really I I was um, I actually did a podcast with them because I was so amazed at how quickly they adapted and I think like you said with more screen time prior to that transition it would have been even quicker and it would have been even there would have been probably less trauma Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I completely agree. Okay, so you were asking um, a business that, that yes. did something really creative. So I want to um, talk about a goat farm in California that I thought did the most fun and creative pivot that I've seen. I mean, I've seen a lot, but this one in particular. So this goat farm, all of their revenue came from school field trips and people coming to visit and um and suddenly that all dried up overnight. No school field trips, nothing. They they were figuring out how to survive. And so I, I wish I had been in the meeting where someone pitched this idea, but they decided that they were going to make their goats available for corporate Zoom meetings. So like if you were having a team Zoom meeting, you could book a goat to pop in for five minutes to just delight people. And um it became so popular that there was over a one month waiting list and they ended up having to enroll something like 45 other farms around the United States to have their animals available. So I, I booked through this service and I got a llama named Dolly Llama who came <laughs> and like it, people were smiling. Everyone was taking screenshots with this llama in the middle of our, our company zoom. And, um, I just thought that was one of the most creative and fun pivots that that I saw during this time. Oh wow! I, I tell you, and my goats and llamas feature a lot in my life right now. I don't know why. I think llamas because my ten year old daughter has a thing about llamas, so you know that would that would have been a wonderful thing for her to see. And I think goats <laughs> we've talked about several times on this podcast with regards to the environment. The the town or the village my mother lives in back in the UK, all the goats came down from the mountain <laughs> uh, during the, when everybody was locked down. And it, it made the news over here. It's not often you see this little village <laughs> appear on in, in news in North America, but all these goats came down. And every conversation I had with my mother, she was complaining about 
all these goats wow. around so the apparently, house. Apparently, she doesn't need this goat to meeting service. She she can just look wow. out her window. But uh, for, look, yeah. for all of us in uh, in cities, it was yeah. a nice exactly. Uh, happy life. But maybe maybe I should say just keep some of those goats in your garden. Right? There's an <laughs> idea that could take off in the UK here. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm con- I'm condoning goat kidnap here, which is probably <laughs> not a good thing. Poor goats. <laughs> So let's get back to, to, to mental health, um, because that's a topic that we, we've talked about a lot during this series. But um, I also was familiar with your book, Pick Three. So could you tell us a little bit about, about your Pick Three book? Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about work-life balance, mental health, mindfulness, for, and writing about it for over a decade now. Um And I've always had a a bit of a philosophy on life that unfortunately work-life balance does not exist. I think uh, there's a lot of pressure on all of us to find it. And uh, I think we're chasing the impossible, trying to have perfect work-life balance. So I've really tried to focus on having a life that is well lopsided, uh, which means that at any given point in your life, you are going to have to prioritize some things over other things. You just can't do it all. And so, you know, what does it look like to be kind of healthily lopsided? Um, now, you don't want to be so lopsided that you are ignoring huge parts of your life and important parts. But if you're if you're a little lopsided in one direction now and a little lopsided in the other next year, that's okay, as long as it balances out over the big scheme of life. So I wrote a book called Pick Three about a mantra for living a well-lopsided life that goes like this. Work, sleep, family, friends, fitness, pick three. You can keep changing which three you're picking. You're not, you don't have to pick three and stick to them until the end of time. But at any given day in your life, you can really only do three of those things well. And so when you give yourself permission to let go, to say no, to get rid of the guilt and say, you know what, I would rather be excellent at a few things rather than spread myself too thin across many. Uh, What people end up finding is that they are happier they're healthier, they feel more fulfilled, they're more successful. And uh, so I I try to steer people away from work-life balance. I think it's bad for mental health um, and try to steer people away towards, you know, what are you prioritizing and how can you get to a point where you feel okay with that? Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness, this is just a, 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 we talked with, um, Rain Wilson um, in in our last season, who's a friend of the show, and and he, he he's a big advocate of meditation and mindfulness. And when we we talked about technology, he, he said, "Look, I want something that's going to help me unplug from my digital life." He said, "I need to unplug for my own, you know, well being." Um, and one of the things I found myself doing because, you know, with with children and work and and all the other stresses. And I think with with the pandemic, I I actually got involved with meditation. I downloaded the Calm app, and it's something I do every day, and it was it was hugely helpful. Um, so tell us a little bit about your dot complicated um, project, or, or or what you did in the past with this, Randy, because I think that fits okay. into a number of those things. 
Absolutely. And for me, going to the theater is my meditation. I feel like that's one of the the one places left where you, you know, it is socially acceptable to put your phone aside to really give your full attention to people on the stage. And you have live performers and a live audience in a moment together connecting. Um, and so for me, you know, that I look forward to going to live entertainment as a way to, to disconnect and unplug. I think we, we all need that in our lives. And, um, with my first book dot complicated, you know, it's very funny because, um, when I left Facebook, uh, I pitched dot complicated to several publishers and they rejected it. They were like, no, no one wants to hear about unplugging. They want you write, write a tell all about Facebook and everything and unplugging. That's not a thing. No one's interested in it. Um, and I think it was a, a few months later that the cover of the New York times, um, all of a sudden had this huge feature on kind of like digital Sabbath and how that was the big trend and how everyone, you know, was, was addicted to their phones. And all of those same publishers came back to me and they're like, Oh wait, maybe unplugging is a thing. Um, and so my book doc complicated was about how all of us are trying to navigate the complicated relationship we have with tech. And it's funny because I wrote that book in, you know, a decade ago. And, uh, I think this year, this past year was probably the most complicated relationship with technology that, that any of us have faced during that time. Uh, but I, I wrote about everything from, you know, gosh, when I look back at it, how, how technology could be used in elections for good and for bad, how it, for our mental health, for our friendships. Um, and uh, you know, it, it still, still holds true today. We're all still navigating that world. Now, I do believe if I had to pick a side, I do believe that technology is making our lives better um, and that the benefits outweigh the challenges, but we can't ignore that there are some very real challenges and that we need to be incredibly mindful about the role that technology, social media, and screen time play in our lives. Yeah, and it's like it's like we said before, it's the benefits totally outweigh the negatives. And, and, and for many of those negatives or those externalities, they only become apparent when you reap the benefits of what the technology gives you, right? So a lot of it is unforeseen, but uh, I think, and I, I think that's just with any innovation that there comes these negatives, you know, afterwards. Um, and tell us about Dot as well, because I think this is super interesting, Randy, because uh, when when I see Dot, when I when I, I I've looked at the book and. I, I've I've seen uh, a number of the shows. I just see my three daughters, right? I, I see so many similarities in them. But th that that was a, a kind of spin-off of Dot Complicated, right? That was something that was launched from that book. Yes. So actually, while I was in the middle of writing Dot Complicated, as part of the book, I wanted to include some research about when and why we lose women in technology. And so I started to do a lot of research. I wanted to pinpoint, is there an exact uh, time in women's lives or an exact age that they back away from these careers? And what I found shocked me. I found that it is at eight and nine years old that we lose 
women in technology. So we, you can't even say women, we lose girls in technology at eight and nine years old is the moment um, that research has tracked that girls start to say things like, oh, that's for boys, or I'm not good at math and science that, or I'm not interested. And so I went back to my publisher and I said, okay, I know that I, I am contracted to write this book, Dot Complicated, but I've completely lost interest in writing this book because I need to write something that reaches eight and nine-year-old girls. Um, by the time they've read Dot Complicated, it's too late. We've lost them. And so my publisher was fantastic at HarperCollins, and she actually suggested that we launch a companion children's book uh, at the same time. So that, that was re really what um, struck me to write the book Dot about a, a tech-savvy little girl who's balancing tech and screen time in her own life. And uh, that actually led to a, an animated TV show that Jim Henson produced uh, that we aired around the world. Um, and that, I mean, that was such a deeply meaningful project for me. I didn't even have a daughter of my own at that time. I, I now since do. Um, but I just, I felt so strongly that if we are not connecting with those eight and nine year old girls, that we're, we are losing such incredible talent in STEM fields before they even know they're lost. And, and when you say, you know, when we, we lose them, why is it we lose them? Why is it they consider it a more boyish male thing? I think, you know, I think it's a whole host of factors. I think it's uh, the media is, is certainly a huge part of that. Um, when I launched the show, the book and the show Dot, you could not find another animated series for young children that had a girl uh, as the lead character who is doing math and science. So even, I mean, even the way that we're entertaining children is putting in their minds that, that those activities are for boys. I think it's a lot of, you know, the way we speak to kids in school. I, when I reflect back on my own childhood, I can recall so many instances where people told me that I could have any job that I wanted, but no one ever told me I could create any job that I wanted. And I know that seems like such a tiny difference of a word, but, um, but it, that has a huge impact on what girls and, and women think that they can achieve. So, um, I think it's a matter of how we teach in schools, the media, at home, how we're introducing girls. I mean, there's a lot of studies that show that, you know, boys uh, play video games and are introduced to technology earlier in life than, than girls are. And so they're, they're already at a starting field advantage to, to picking up tech and, and feeling comfortable with it. So um, I think we need to tackle this on, on all fronts. One show or one book like Dot is not going to solve this problem. But if we start uh, really rethinking all of these avenues of how we connect with girls around tech, I think we can see really meaningful change. And, and was did you use a lot of your own experiences, Randy, when you created Dot? Was was Dot based on on yourself in many respects? Being you know, like you said, moving out to Silicon Valley, uh, and 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 being involved in you know the the uh, the audaciousness of of Silicon Valley. Was there a lot of yourself in that character? Yes, you know it's funny because I wrote myself into both the character of Dot and into Dot's parents. 
So I feel like I was, I was all of those characters at the same time because, um, you know, I have lived through what it's like to be the only woman in the room in Silicon Valley. I've lived through what it's like to struggle to parent three children in this digital age. And so I felt like I could relate to all of those characters and the push and pull. But one of the most important things that I really wanted to show parents through DOT is that um, there are so many ways to introduce kids to STEM fields that don't require a screen. I think uh, when we think about introducing kids to technology, we immediately think about a screen and putting kids in front of an iPad and having them sit there. And, and I wanted to show that there's just a whole world of possibilities around building things, you know, maker labs, robotics, astronomy. I mean, there are just so many incredible ways to have children fall in love with science and math and tech that never once require a screen. And uh, that, that was, I think, one of the, the biggest things that I was hoping people would take away. No, I think it's amazing. And I think when I think back to when I was at school, um, there was a computer science class and all the boys would go into the computer science class where we'd learn to program basic on a BBC micro, right? And all that everybody wanted to do was build games. And all the uh, all the females would go into a needlework class. And, you know, this was like 30 years ago, which seems like yesterday, but how primitive it, it is is. I mean, that's when you look back on it, it, it's crazy. So I think I live up in Canada and I see what my children do at school now, my daughters in particular. And like you said, they they get involved in a lot of different STEM areas. They're really into it. They're really interested. There doesn't seem to be um, that much. Well, there, there probably still is, but not certainly not as it was in my day. But even if they were to, to go to university and to take this further, what do you think needs to happen in Silicon Valley to really, because that's still very male dominated culture. Absolutely. Right? What, and it's, it's funny. You just brought there? back, you brought back a memory that I hadn't thought of in, you know, 30, 30 years is that all same. I just same experience when I was uh, in elementary school, the boys would go to a maker lab and do woodworking and make things. And the girls would go to home and careers was actually the name of the class where we would learn to cook and sew and things like that. And I'm like, think, I mean, I, I like, I, I wish I could roll my eyes at myself uh, when I think about, you know, how that was just, just a few decades ago. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's not just, we can't focus all our effort on eight and nine year old girls because there's a huge gap that's happening right now in Silicon Valley in the workforce. And, um, you know, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the second major gap that I found in my research. Uh, the first is eight or nine year old girls. The second is entrepreneurship. A lot of women, uh, because they aren't able to raise as much money as men do, something like only about 2% of venture capital financing goes to female founders. Um, so women don't, you know, they're not able to raise as much money. They don't have the same kind of mentorship and networking around them. Um, women struggle a lot more with starting companies than men do. And because of that, they either don't get into it in the first place or they give up um, before they've really even had the chance to see their idea through. And so that's been um, another huge, so that's why with Zuckerberg Media, um, 
our two main focuses are children's entertainment and helping female entrepreneurs. And so uh, I really want to be at the center of where those two gaps are happening. Um, how do we keep women on track, getting over these hurdles with their business, being able to raise more money, having that mentorship that they need? And uh, how do we give young girls the encouragement that they need so that they never have those struggles as an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, do you think... I mean, we go back to the pandemic a little bit here, and it was something that you said earlier that stuck with me, that during the pandemic where um, many you know, females had to leave the workforce to take care of things at home, this is a huge issue. And I think I, I, I just started thinking back in history because the biggest change in the workforce uh, in, in the last 100 years was World War II, where the opposite happened. The women came into the workforce for the first time because – you know uh, that everybody uh, all, all the males were were off overseas fighting wars and things so do you think what, what what do you think will happen next as we come out of the pandemic as uh, you know as we see initiatives as we see more diversity more gender equality how long do you think it will take or or, or do you think the pandemic will help propel or or even stunt that equality starting to come mm-hmm. through you know, I think in in some ways, uh, you know, it will help things and in other ways it will hurt things. I think one thing that if you speak to any parent, uh, they will tell you that the education system has to be completely disrupted after this pandemic, because what we all found is that we rely on schools for way too many things. We rely on them not just for education, but for socializing our children and quite frankly, for babysitting our children during the day. And so when schools go down, every part of society goes down. And uh, unfortunately, you know, as much as we can say, you know, we're progressive and we've changed from those days of home and careers and schools, a lot of the, the housework and the child work still traditionally falls on women. And we saw that happen this year. It was like a return to like 1950s housewife uh, all over again. So um, I think in order to really fix that, we have to fix the education system around the world. Uh, Otherwise, you know, there will be more pandemics. There will be more things in California on top of uh, COVID. We also uh, went through a devastating forest fire season where for two months, the air was so thick with smoke, you couldn't even go outside. So like, it wasn't safe to go indoors because of COVID and it wasn't safe to be outdoors because of the fires. And so, you know, we're just going to see more and more of these things happening. And if we don't fix the education system, we're never going to make it so that women get back out. But the one thing I will say though, is that I think that a lot of companies that um, pushed back and resisted remote work suddenly found this year that uh, not only was it okay, that it is what workers demand for the future going forward. And so I do think that the ability to live anywhere, to work remotely from anywhere, um, now that that's become an acceptable and a new standard, will open the door for a lot of women who are juggling those things. Now, let's switch gears a little bit now. You you prompted me to to think about another crisis that we're facing, and that's climate change. 
Um, and when you talked about the the, the forest fires in, in California, it instantly took me back to 2013 and Singapore, where we were stuck in all that smog back uh, back uh, the, the last time we saw you at one of our events, uh, events, Randy. But are you seeing any innovation come out of Silicon Valley to address climate change? Because uh, COVID has kind of been a warm up in many respects for this bigger you know, existential issue of, of, of climate change. Are you seeing anything interesting or, or, or a lot of um, entrepreneurship and, and innovation around tackling this issue? Yes, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs who have had incredibly successful careers and have made a lot of money, seem to be turning to climate change as the big issue they want to tackle. I've also seen climate change come to the forefront of many industries. I mean, um, I wrote an article almost five years ago about how cryptocurrency and Bitcoin mining was going to be very detrimental to the environment. Um it kind of got poo-pooed when I wrote it, but this year you can't be in a conversation about cryptocurrency or NFTs without talking about the impact on on the environment and, and climate change. Um, I'm also seeing a huge trend when people are angel investing or venture capital is going into startups is there there's a huge trend toward eco-sustainable startups. People want to know that the companies that they're funding and that the founders are really committed to uh, to things. So I'm seeing a lot more um, startups around food that is harvested and, and uh, grown in sustainable ways, um, vegan forms of protein. I'm seeing a lot in agriculture. So we certainly need to move faster. Um, you know, it, it terrifies me a little bit when I think about the planet that we're leaving to our children, but I'm excited at the same time by a lot of the innovation that I'm seeing. No, it's and that's good to hear. It's really good to hear. And, and we, we did a, an episode a few weeks ago with a, a Silicon Valley startup called Earthshot Labs. And and what they were doing, this is just, just interesting for our listeners, it's uh episode three, <laughs> but um, what they were doing is they created an, uh, an OS, a land OS that basically mapped the planet. So if you were doing any deforestation, uh, reforestation rather, not deforestation, then you could map out exactly what effect that would have on the environment by bringing together all these different variable, variables and algorithms. And we found that pretty encouraging, you know, for when, when we look at climate change, because like you said, it's terrifying. I mean, we talk about COVID, but climate change is, is absolutely. Uh, I am. I just invested in a woman who is um, making um, kelp hamburgers. Uh, so they, uh, it's been discovered. I mean, kelp is such a healthy and sustainable form of protein, and so um, she's kind of looking at you know could could she become the next Beyond Meat or the next uh, Impossible Burger um, harvested from kelp? So I'm I'm really excited at, at a lot of these things I'm seeing. And actually, when the world shut down for the pandemic, I was actually in Tel Aviv in Israel 
filming a commercial with SodaStream about ending single-use plastic. It was a whole campaign, and uh, you, you can you can catch me on YouTube. I sing and I dance like Broadway style in the commercial. But um, you know, really, uh, that is a huge passion of mine is climate change and working with organizations that are committed to reducing plastic and, and changing the way that we eat and the way that we consume things. So let's take a quick listen to that SodaStream commercial. Hey, buddy, don't worry. Sarah from New Jersey just shared your story. So everything is going to be all right. Bye. That's not going to do anything. I'm Randy Zuckerberg, entrepreneur, businesswoman, theatrically trained vocal performer. Aren't you the sister of... And my own person, regardless of who may or may not be a member of my family. Look, I'm not saying angry posts or sad gifts can't get people's attention. But honestly, when all we do is share stuff online instead of taking real action, the world doesn't give a That's why I decided to join SodaStream, who not only make fresh, delicious, sparkling water, but also eliminate millions of single-use plastic bottles every day by using reusable bottles. That's really interesting because the last time I was in Tel Aviv, which was um, 2019, I guess. Yeah, the summer of 2019. We had the head of marketing from SodaStream come in to meet us. And yeah, everything that they were doing, that everything that they were doing marketing-wise was, and rightly so, based on, on the environment. And I love their vibe. I love their energy. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll find that. We'll put that on our website to support this episode, Randy, because that Thank sounds you. great. I mean, cause... yeah, it's a great company. And um, although it was pretty wild to be in the middle of filming a commercial and then uh, to hear, you know, the government has given everyone 48 hours to get out of the country or you're in uh, mandatory quarantine. So uh, we kind of had to decide, okay, whatever footage we filmed, that's what we have. And <laughs> we're going to have to edit it that way. But um but yeah, so I mean, that uh, I think, you know, it's just so vital that anyone who's in business and tech and entrepreneurship is putting climate change and, and sustainable development at the forefront of everything we're doing. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's something Doc can look at in the future. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's just a... An idea there. No, it's a great idea. And we've, we've discussed, you know, how to introduce kind of a, like a climate change warrior character um, who could, you know, be a really fun part of the posse. So I think that's a great idea. Or maybe, maybe you and I will write something together. There we go. There we go. I'm thinking Greta Thunberg meets, I don't know, Rain Wilson, because he's, he's done a lot on the climate change, which is really great stuff. I love it. Wow. Greta, what an amazing, (laughs) amazing young woman Greta is. Now, um, as we as we're coming sort of towards the end now, but you've accomplished so much already in your career, Randy. I think you're an inspiration uh, to many people around the world, and there's still a long way to go. I mean, you're still very young, and, and you're involved in, in in lots of different initiatives. What's been your proudest achievement to date? Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, for sure, my children is is the proudest. You know, when I look at them and and. Uh, um, my son at the beginning of the pandemic turned to me and, uh, for, you know, 
he, I didn't tell him to do this. He just came to me and he said, mom, I want to create a fundraiser for black lives matter. And I have these ideas and I, and, um, I think, I mean, there is no prouder moment as a parent than when your children turn to you and, you know, voice on their own that they want to make the world a better place. Um, and you almost feel like you're like, okay, my, my work here is done. My son is a better human than I am. Um, that was so proud for me professionally. Um, you know, gosh, I mean, I'm so proud of the work we did at Facebook and so delighted, but you know, I started this by saying that my dream in life was Broadway and theater. And, uh, in 2019, I won two Tony awards for producing theater uh, on Broadway. And, um, one of the shows that I won for, it was the first time that a woman in a wheelchair had uh, been in a leading role on Broadway. Um, the other show, was had an entirely female creative team and was only the fourth show ever on Broadway to be solo written by a woman. So um, I felt just, you know, incredibly proud of being a part of, you know, the arts in that way and expanding accessibility to the arts and, and that impact. So, uh, you know, I, I, I hope I, there's a lot more in me this last year and a half, I think uh, took a decade <laughs> off of my life. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm so excited for all the work there is to do to support women and girls in business and mm -hmm. tech and, and support the arts. And so what's next then? What are you working on? Or what have you been inspired by in the pandemic? Is there going to be a, a new book? Or what is it you've got in production that you could share with our listeners now? Apart from, of course, the um, eco-warrior Greta Thunberg idea we just discussed. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, what, what else is there besides but Nothing our beats idea? that. <laughs> nothing can beat that, of course. Um, I'm definitely working on a few new theatrical projects that I'm excited about. And uh, I probably invested in about a dozen, Angel invested in a dozen uh, companies. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, I've, I've started working with a, a crowd equity funding site called Republic. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's like Kickstarter, except you actually own a piece of the company. It's not like you're just pre-ordering or buying. And I think that is going to be completely game changing for how people across the world can own, uh, pieces of companies because you, that's the only way to have game changing wealth is to by owning equity and things. Um, and, uh, as a hobby, I, my son and my parents and I all together, the four of us learned how to play golf over this past oh, year. Um, excellent. so the four of us would go out together three generations and, uh, we played twice a week for all of the pandemic. And, um, that was, that's honestly going to just go down as one of the most beautiful memories for me is spending all that time with three generations together for hours. You know, no one's looking at phones. No one is, is checking their email just outside in nature, having a great time together. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll continue to work on my golf game a bit too, because it needs a lot of work. <laughs> No, I mean, look, you've got the golf, but I, when I was growing up, I played golf with my father and my grandfather and my son, I'd, I'd love to get him involved. He's still a little bit young, but when you get the golf bug, you get it great. And like, it's a perfect way to unplug, spend time with your family. It's great exercise. I haven't played at all during the pandemic. 
So I'm. Uh, well, if you make it to New York, I would love to play a round of golf with you. I'd be delighted. Um, as long We're as on. you can uh, handle a beginner playing with a beginner, but um, it is that has been kind of my form of meditation and mental health during this difficult year has been, you know, the opportunity to just get outside in a safe way during the pandemic and spend you know, those hours getting exercise, focusing on something, um, you know, beside of what's going on in my own life. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, I have one last thing to, that I'd like to ask you, Randy, and I think this is hot off the heels. Our last episode was about travel. And, you know, as we've been speaking to a lot of guests about this. So now we're all, I wouldn't say we're unlocked. COVID is somewhat diminishing, although not completely. But where would you like to travel to? anywhere in the world right now that you've thought about during the pandemic our last guest called it revenge travel which i think sounds very dramatic and uh, and uh, almost a bit uh, what, what's the word retaliatory but um where would you like to to go to on vacation now if uh, time permitting well it's funny it's funny to think about this because for a decade before the pandemic i traveled 50 times a year. I mean, I was on the road over 100 days a year. And um, I recently logged into United's app and it says, does not recognize this device. And I actually laughed out loud after, I mean, I have flown 2 million miles just in the, you know, the past few years. Um, I think top of my list right now is going to Scotland to play St. Andrews um, after, you know, playing golf for a year and, and learning that and finally getting my handicap to a point, uh, where I could qualify to play the course. Um, that's my, the biggest thing on my bucket list right now. That would be wonderful. The old course at St. Andrews. I yes. mean, uh, just don't go in there. Don't go there. November, December would might be my uh, <laughs> recommendation, but, uh, the rest of the world, it's, it's amazing. Well, look, Randy, I've enjoyed every minute of our conversation. It's been great having you on the great indoors. Um, I, I just want to say thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a beautiful time. I mean, our time flew by. We could have spoken for hours. That had to be one of the most fun, uplifting conversations we've had today. I really love speaking with Randy. I mean, for someone... Well, so young, she has such an incredible passion for entrepreneurial startups, diversity, women in STEM, entertainment, and of course, her new passion, golf. I look forward to our game of golf together and also co-writing the next season of Doc together. I think it'll be great. <laughs> so please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. Check out two other Amdocs podcasts that quite frankly are brilliant and available now the future of tech with Abishai Charlene and points of view with our CMO Bill Rosen also visit our new and improved website amdocs.com which slash the great indoors where we have a plethora of assets related to the series now we'll be back in two weeks for another edition of the great indoors I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs today I'm in Denver and have a great day wherever you are